Well, I'd like to wish you a very Merry Christmas on behalf of our church family at Park Street Church, especially if you are visiting with us this evening. I'm not sure if you were with us last year uh, at Christmas Eve, but if you were, you might remember we actually took a survey of everyone uh, who was here. We had uh, about 1,700 people here. We wanted to find out where everybody was from. And out of those 1,700, I would estimate we probably found out uh, about information from about a third of those present. So out of those 500 or 600 people who were here last Christmas Eve, there were 148 different cities and towns uh, and uh, neighborhoods of Boston and from Massachusetts, from the United States and the whole world. 148 different cities or towns represented just among the three services, a third of the people who are actually here. There were 20, uh, 26 different states represented, people who didn't live in Massachusetts but were here uh, with us worshiping that night. That's like half the nation was right here. Uh, or. 20, there were also 22 different countries, people who didn't live in the United States, uh, they lived outside the country, who happened to be visiting with us that particular uh, worship service. And uh, it was, they were from every continent in the entire world except for Antarctica. Uh, and I would have been surprised if there was anybody here from Antarctica. Anybody here? This, I didn't think so. Okay. And if you think about it, what an amazing gathering this represents of backgrounds and diversity, our lives and stories weave together from tea rides to parking garages, uh, from tunnels and bridges crossed, from tolls paid, Uber rides, uh, flights taken, to meet in this moment in this great hall on this glorious night. I mean, just look around, soak it in, the beauty, the presence of those here singing uh, in one voice together. Last year at the five o'clock service, our music director, Nathan Skinner, he went uh, up to the very front pew at the beginning of the service, this front, front central pew, uh, because he wanted to ask the people who were sitting in that pew to kind of help out with the service. Uh, as you noticed, we all kind of stood up before anything else happened. So he wanted that row to stand up to help the congregation to know, okay, it's time for everyone to stand up. And it was like a group of young adults, maybe college students who were filling that row. And uh, they were politely shaking their head to Nathan as, as he walked away. Well, it turned out my family was sitting one row behind them, uh, this group, and they noticed that none of the people in that group had a, a worship bulletin with them. No one. In fact, some of them had our children's bulletin in their hands. I mean, these are college, you know, young adult kind of uh, young people, and it didn't make sense. Like, what's going on? So they, they kind of leaned over and started a, a very quick conversation. They found out uh, that this was a group of uh, students, or they were from China. 
And it was, they hardly spoke English. It was the first worship service they had ever been in in their life. And, you know, here we are asking them to, to lead the entire, you know, liturgical worship service. I mean, how is that? I mean, how effective in terms of volunteer recruitment is that? You, know, you just show up and immediately you're in charge of the worship service. So my, you know, kids helped out with the bulletin. They helped them navigate the hymnals and the rest of the service. But I wish I had had the opportunity to ask them, how in the world did you end up here at Park Street Church on that night? How'd you get here? And, and that's something I think it's really good to ask all of us. How in the world did you get here tonight? What was it that brought you to this place at this time uh, to, to gather uh, for the service? Here, now, why? In fact, I want you to do that. Let's actually take a moment, and you don't have to get up, but just you know, the people behind you or in front of you, just turn to them and wish them a Merry Christmas. Ask them what their name is, Find out where they're actually from, just to see you know, who, who's around you. Ask them how they even got here. Go ahead, give it a second and introduce yourself. together. This is, uh, this is church. You're having too much fun. All right. Uh, so yeah, if you didn't, fi if you didn't get to finish your conversation after the service, you know, greet them again, uh, pick up where you were in terms of conversation, but it's just fascinating to think about, find out why you are where you are. It's actually within our scripture tonight. It, the same question can be asked. As we consider the birth of Christ, we could ask, how did Jesus end up in that town of Bethlehem resting in a manger at that time? I mean, how did he end up there? And a casual reading of the scripture, we, we just read it uh, from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. It's right there in your bulletin. I, I'm going to talk about it. Maybe you want to open it up and look at it. But just from a casual reading, uh, that section would lead you to believe that the baby Jesus ended up in the manger in Bethlehem on that night simply out of common circumstances of life. Right? I mean, take a look at it. Verses 1 through 3 says that Caesar Augustus issued a decree uh, that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. So everybody went to their town to register. So, you know, how did Jesus end up in the manger that night? 
Well, you could argue it was just simply government regulation. You know, our civic responsibility to do what we're supposed to do, go where we're supposed to go, it's the same thing for you. You know, you have to go to City Hall or the DMV to uh, you know, do something that's required of you. It's nothing special at all. Or you could argue, well, the reason Jesus ended up in Bethlehem uh, in that manger that night is because of family ties. Verse 4 says that, uh, so Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem because he belonged to the house and line of David. So his dad was Joseph, and Joseph, his family was from Bethlehem, traced all the way back to David. Uh, so Jesus ended up in Bethlehem because of his dad. I mean, that's not too much different from a lot of you tonight. You know, you, you came to Boston because this is where you grew up. You might be visiting your sister. Your sister happens to go to Park Street Church. Uh, and so, you know, you didn't really have much of a choice except to come here tonight. It, it's just regular circumstances that brought you to Park Street Church and it brought, brought baby Jesus to Bethlehem. Or you could argue it from another family perspective. You could, you could say it, it all has to do with his mom, right? Jesus is in Mary's womb. So wherever Mary goes, Jesus has to go. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it says, verse 5, he, Joseph went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. So he didn't have any choice. He did what Mary had to do. It had... He, you know, it was associated with parenting or childbearing uh, or pregnancy or whatever you want to call it. And maybe you're a kid here tonight, right? And you, uh, you know, you didn't really want to come in. You, you wanted to open that first present on Christmas Eve at home. But mom said, you just got to go. You got to come to church with us. You have no choice. Well, Listen, Jesus knew how, knows how you feel. You know, he didn't have any choice either to go to Bethlehem. His mom made him go there. <laughs> or maybe you could say, Jesus, he ended up in the manger because of unfortunate circumstances. Uh, our family this summer took a vacation down to North Carolina. On the way down, we stopped at McDaniel College in Maryland to uh, visit it. Uh, my son's a junior in high school and was looking at that as a possible school. And so I set up a, a night reservation at a hotel uh, with two rooms, two non-smoking rooms. One was a king-size bread with a pullout for Laura and myself and our daughter Tabitha. The other was a non-smoking room with two double beds. Well, we didn't get to the hotel until pretty late, like 11 o'clock at night. And when we arrived, that clerk uh, at the, the front desk, she, she just profusely apologized because it turned out, for whatever reason, they had given away all of the rooms uh, that, you know, at least all of the non-smoking rooms with double beds, two, you know, two double beds in it. So she said, look, here's your two choices. You can either have a room with 
uh, a, a smoking room with two double beds in it, or you could have a, another king size, a room with one king size bed in it. And so, you know, they're my two poor boys. I, I, I wanted, you know, teenage boys, I wanted to give them each their own bed uh, because they're, they're, you know, kind of ample in size at this point. And so they have to make this excruciating choice. Do they want to wake up in the next morning smelling like a pack of Marlboro Lights? Or do they want to sleep with their amply sized brother in the same bed? You know, it's just unfortunate circumstance that kind of made this situation happen. And you know, again, that's exactly what we read here. Verse six and seven. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. She wrapped him in cloths, placed him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room in the inn. It was an unfortunate circumstance that they, you know, got to Bethlehem and there was no place to sleep but a bed of hay. So if you put it all together, why did Jesus, why did he end up in Bethlehem on that night in that manger? Well, it had to do with a Roman king's decree. It had to do with his dad's background. It had to do with his mother's care. It had to do with a no vacancy sign. Just everyday circumstances, some of them ordinary some of them inconvenient. But three verses later, the veil of the mundane, it is pulled back. And the golden nuggets, which look like dull stones in that stream, are shown for what they are. The angel declares, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Christ. He is the Lord. They will be a sign to you, or this will be a sign to you. Do you hear that? This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. This incredibly important child, in this incredibly important place, at this incredibly important time, surrounded by these two incredibly important parents. They signified a transformative event grounded in God's ordination, God's ordained truth not to be missed, like a big, fat sign. What did the angel mean by a sign? Maybe, you know, the angel just simply meant it's a sign to prove that I'm right. You know, 
I know something that only I could know if it's actually true. You go to that place, you see it. If you see it, you know what I just told you is true. It, it may have just been simply to prove the fact that what he, the veracity of the angel's testimony. That, and that's probably partly true. But it's more than that because this word semion, which is translated here sign, just as often in the New Testament is translated as miracle. Miracle. That's what happened in verses 1 through 7. It's not just mundane common, ordinary life playing itself. It is a miracle, supernatural, God-inspired. It's a God-empowered event. What's miraculous about verses 1 through 7? Well, of course, the greatest miracle in the Scriptures is the incarnation of God. God taking upon himself flesh and living among us. Surely that's the kernel of what Luke and the angels here were driving home. It's the message of Matthew chapters 1 and 2, the, the birth narratives as found in Matthew. When when it's declared that Jesus is to be called Emmanuel, God with us. It's the same message we get in John chapter 1, when John talks about the birth of Jesus, when he says that uh, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It's the miracle of the incarnation. But it's, it's even more than that. When this word Simeon is used this word sign. It's not just miraculous, but it's a miraculous event or occurrence that is a fulfillment of expectation that was previously known, that would only come about by the power and work of God himself. Only he could ordain it. Only he would bring it about. That's what's going on here. That's what the sign is. What lays behind every pedestrian statement in verses 1 through 7 that we already looked at is a vivid, prophetic tapestry of Old Testament prophecies. Let's whiz through them again. Verse 1, it says that, you know, he starts out orienting us to the fact that we are in the Roman Empire. The prophet Daniel in his book prophesied, the Lord spoke to him 500 years before this and said that the Messiah would come during a fourth kingdom that would overrule or rule over Jerusalem. And we know that the first kingdom was the Babylonian kingdom as Israel was brought into exile. That was followed by a Medo-Persian kingdom. That was followed then by Alexander the Great and the kingdom of Greece. And that led to the fourth kingdom, the Roman Empire, Caesar Augustus. 
Verse 3, we find out that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. The prophet Micah, 700 years before this prophesied that the Messiah would come from, would be born in the city of Bethlehem. We also find in verse 3 that Joseph, and thus Jesus, was from the line of David. And you go back to the Old Testament, 2 Samuel chapter 7, a thousand years before, the Lord promises to David that one of his descendants would become this great king, this Messiah, this Christ, who would establish an everlasting kingdom. If you know anything about the Gospels, it's all about the coming of God's kingdom. Go to verse 5. We find out that Mary is expecting a baby. And earlier in Luke, we know that Mary conceives this child by the overshadowing of the Holy Spirit while she is still a virgin. And of course, that is the fulfillment of that great uh, prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7. 700 years before this statement was made that the virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son. You can even look at where Jesus was laying in this manger among the feed of animals. We find out in Isaiah 53, again, 700 years before, that the Messiah would be born up as a tender root from dry or fallow ground. And there would be nothing that would attract us to him. That, that's a description that is, fits perfectly this humiliation of God in this pile of animal feed. The humility of the Messiah depicted for us from Isaiah 53 and in the manger. What's the sign? Why should the shepherds be assured that the angel's proclamation is true? Well, it's because God in his sovereignty had begun to fulfill the prophetic statements he had made about this Messiah in the birth of this child. He shaped ordinary circumstances of human history, of Caesar and Joseph and this young woman Mary to lead them to this very moment, in this very place, to bring into the world his solution, which he had promised for hundreds and hundreds of years, a solution to the problem of humanity, of sin and death that hangs over us all since the disastrous outcome of the garden involving Adam and Eve, he brought good news of great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior is born to you. For all people. This you, born to you, this you is plural. So you can apply this you to you. In the town of David, a Savior has been born to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, and you, and you. I don't know what the ordinary circumstances of your life 
are right now. I don't know how you got here. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know the burdens that you're carrying. But I do know this. God shapes the ordinary circumstances of life to bring about extraordinary things for those he loves. Why are you here tonight? You know, is it because your mom made you come? Is it because your family is in this area? Is it because it's a business trip that happened to coincide with Christmas this year? Is that what brought you here tonight? Or could it quite possibly be a divine appointment this evening that the Lord has engineered to bring you to this place tonight by his power. Here we are, I would presume, 150 cities from around the world represented in this service and the previous services, from half the states from our nation, from every continent in the world, except Antarctica. And God has so ordained it that our lives might be here together at this time in this glorious place soaking in this amazing, amazing night. And the proclamation of this night is no different than the proclamation of that night in Luke chapter 2. And I have the same exact responsibility given to me that the angels had, but I don't get to fly as much as you'd like to see me do so. And I have a message for you that you need to hear and take to heart and believe like you have never believed before. A Savior has come for you. For you. Do you know why God promised a Savior over and over again, hundreds and hundreds of years, time and time again. And, and then he brought about his birth through such an unmistakable, miraculous event. You know why? Because the people really needed a Savior. And if you don't know Jesus Christ tonight... You really, really, really need to know who he is. This babe who grew into a man who suffered judgment on a cross, the judgment of death to take away your sin, the punishment that you deserved, who was resurrected from the dead to give you assurance that if you place your trust in him, you will overcome sin and death eternally as well through him. If you've been with us during the Advent season, week to week, you would have heard us talk about the hope that we have in Christ. 
and the love that's extended to us in Christ. You would have heard us talk about the joy that's birthed in our lives because of Christ. You would have heard us speak about the peace that is ours in Christ. And such hope, such love, such joy, such peace belongs to those who place their trust in Christ. How did you end up here tonight? How did you end up here now? Why? Could it perhaps be a divine appointment that the Lord has set up for you tonight that you might take to heart good news of great joy that a Savior has been born to you? May such good news bring about the merriest of Christmases for you now, here, in this place, forevermore. Amen. It's been our practice in recent years to confess our faith at this point in the service after the proclamation of God's word is, is sent forth. And I, you know, I want to say, look, if you're here and what I just said isn't really where your heart is right now, I'm just glad you're here and, and listening and enjoying this. And just use this time to think a little more deeply about what is being confessed by those with great sincerity, with authentic belief among us. But if indeed what we read and say here together is what you believe, proclaim this confession with great joy and sincerity and strength. So let us stand together and confess our faith. <clears throat> 